Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're really excited to be talking with Melanie McDaniel. She is the founder of Freestyle Capital Group. Uh, Melanie, we'd love to kick it off with a story. So if you could just start us off with one of the craziest real estate experiences or transactions that you've had. The craziest? How about just getting an unsolicited offer on an apartment you were planning on holding for 10 years, but because of their offer, you already like got all of your 10 years of upside. So it's, it's a yes. Everything's for sale, right? Dang. <laughs> 10 years. Holy cow. So essentially you were projecting, and this is probably like an apartment building, did you say? Yes. So you were projecting to have to go in and raise the rents, fix the building, so on and so forth, and didn't have to do any of that. We did some of it. I mean, and we held it through COVID. I mean, we we uh, are getting, we're earning our keep. Like COVID really hammered us because it's a class C mm -hmm. asset in Virginia. And we had 24 tenants and 10 were paying. That's really tough to cover a mortgage with. So it was a tough ride for us. But we have had to do some tenant turnover and do some light rehabs, but we never really got the big stuff. We didn't paint the building. We didn't do the big stuff because we just had to hold on to cash and ride the storm. So uh, the offer came in and it's cash and it's a fun. They do short-term rentals and, and that building fit their model and that's fine. So now we close in um, a couple more weeks. And our, we I think we have 10 tenants left because they didn't want us to renew any leases and just we had all these evictions and things because we're catching up since COVID. So we're handing them, we'll hand them an almost empty building, which is good for them because then they can just go in and, and do their thing. But yeah, they, they offered us a price that it's everything, all the hard work we would have had done, all the market upside, all the pushing rents and whatever, and all the work that goes with all of that pretty much got our value. Um, and it was about two and a half years. This is incredible. First and foremost, you know, kudos to you on this. I want to tell all my syndication buddies about whoever this buyer is. So maybe they can avoid 10 years of rehab and, you know, and plus braving, who knows what the market's going to be in five or 10 years. You know, right now it seems like we got a good market. So just for our audience. So what you're doing essentially is you're buying large apartment buildings. You're raising capital from people to be able to buy these. You're fixing them up and then selling them for significantly more right? In, in a form of syndication. I mean, yes, this one wasn't a syndication. This was a joint venture. And since you, your audience is agents, you might appreciate this. So I was an agent in Virginia, it's Norfolk, Virginia, big Navy town, whatever. And I had a lot of, I, I was just an investor agent. That's how I sold myself. I started a meetup and that wasn't a thing yet. So I was one of the best meetups. I competed with the local RIA in the area. I just provided value, value, value. I would have speakers come in, contractors, lenders, hard money lenders, uh, 1031 exchange intermediate or whatever, just teaching these agents and well, not the agents, agents would come, uh, but all the, the people that I was trying to get as clients, right? Um, just give them all sorts of information. Because if you have an informed client, it makes your job as an agent a lot easier. And by the way, you need to be an informed agent or else you won't know what, what's out there. So I had a bunch of clients and these guys, they wanted to house hack. So they're these military guys that come into town and the, the biggest building you can get with a residential loan is a, a quadruplex. So quadruplex were all the rage. So as an agent, I had an, enough people that wanted quads. I could do a letter campaign specifically to anyone who owns quads in this one location. I had this one guy who wanted a quad in Ocean View. So I sent, I think it was 56 letters. One time, I closed three quads. And one of the guys, one of the guys who had a quad said, I have a 24 unit too. Do you... Do you have people for those? I'm like, I buy those. Me, 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 me. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So um, I I didn't have the money to buy it. It was about 360 grand we needed to buy it. It was 1.43 million when we bought it. Um, so I went to the local RIA that night with the intention to find whoever my partner would be. And it was networking night and speed dating networking, right? So I met my partner and his wife were there. Just They were looking for a deal. I was looking for money and it's been a happy marriage ever since. So they put up pretty much all the money. So I want, I want to stop you here. So you talk about speed dating in, in the RIA. So is that how they set up those meetings where it's like, hey, people who need money, you're on this side of the table, people who want have deals on this side of the table? or So I think once or twice a year, they would just have a networking night where you would sit, you'd sit a number, you'd sit at a table and there'd be six people at the table. And it wasn't um, necessarily directed only at people with deals and people with money. It was just 
networking, right? You get six minutes, everybody has one minute to introduce themselves, move to the next table. So it was a coincidence, right, that I was looking for money and they were looking for a deal. So um, we did the deal and this is where your agents can be happy, right? So um, I didn't make a commission. We bought it as an off-market, just direct seller buyer. And I had to disclose I was an agent, but I wasn't asking for a commission. But I literally put no money in the deal, okay? My value was finding the deal. So we decided, um, what is what is that value? Is it 1% or whatever? So 1% of the purchase price is X amount of dollars. How much of the raise is that? So my share, a total, like it was 6.75%, right? Not a lot. And then I had a, a buddy who we did Michael Blanc's coaching program for buying apartments together. And we said we'd do our first deal together. And so I wasn't going to cut him out. I brought him in, but he was like a 25. I was a 75. But, so at the end of the day, I own 5%. Okay. Zero money in the deal. At the beginning, I think at the time I calculated it was about a $23,000 value, whatever. I don't even know. My math is probably not even making sense, but that's what I remember. And my share of the exit price is about $86,000. Now I put no money in the deal. So this, as an agent, you have data at your fingertips that other people don't have. So as long as you're being legal about it, you're doing your proper disclosures, and you get good at structuring deals. At the end of the day, it's about a win-win-win, right? Everybody wants to win, um, and you can learn how to structure deals, and everybody feels good and cozy. You will make money. Yeah, so I want to I break this down a little bit, because this is fantastic. First of all, like you're energetic. You know, like I just love your personality, the way you're coming at this. Right now, from a story perspective, we have you're an agent, and then all of a sudden you're taking down these quad plexes and 24 plexes. Like that's nothing, that's not a small jump. So, can you talk us through like you just always have this like zest for life, don't care about risk, go for it? Or was there some sort of lead up that made you comfortable with that sort of deal? Definite lead up because I was raised, you know, the whole go to school, get good grades, which I did. School was very easy, very boring. Um, not sure what I wanted to be when I grew up. I joined the military, actually graduated high school a year early and joined the military because I was just so bored. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So like, I'll go buy myself some time, have some world experiences, right? Um, and when I was getting out of the military, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to college, right? That was the most, uh, that's the, what I'm supposed to do. Go to school, get a job, whatever. I had GI Bill money. I had all sorts of money available to me. So I studied tourism because I love to travel. And that's this whole financial freedom. The freestyle is financial freedom, lifestyle design. The, my, whole, my whole story or my whole everything is a lifestyle that you love. And then do the job stuff and the kids and the family around the lifestyle. Like That comes first. So anyway, um, so I did that. And then I finished college and I was working in Hawaii on like a submarine. And I thought, oh, I'm in tourism, but this is like, this is a dead end job, right? So I kind of went back to the safety zone. I went back to the government work. So I became a park ranger. Um, and then I was commissioned. So I was a law enforcement park ranger doing the thing, making my, you know, clocking in, taking my paycheck with all my benefits and putting away in the 401k, doing everything that society and my parents told me to do. But I was just unfulfilled. And then I read the purple book and I'm sorry, it's not a more exciting pivot in life, but rich dad, poor dad changed my mindset and that I couldn't unread that. So in 2015, I read rich dad, poor dad, not far along after that, I actually did their program, their $27,000 coaching program. So from 2015 to 2017, I was just listening to bigger pockets back in the day when they were just getting going, you know, Brandon Turner was new and nobody, and, you know, um, I hours and hours I'd be on patrol thinking, where can I go where I won't see any people or I'd be hiking because I was a park ranger, I'd, you know, walk, foot patrol, right? I would listen to podcasts while I was walking and go wherever I couldn't, I knew no people would find me, right? <laughs> I was the best <laughs> government employee ever. Anyway, it was just years and thousands of hours of learning. An investment, like that program I invested in. And then shortly, well, let me back up. I won't get to that part yet. So I did the $27,000 program, but I learned a lot about flipping houses, wholesaling, creative financing, um, pre-foreclosure, sub-two, like all the things, right? So when I was leaving the job, the government job, when I finally felt like I had enough knowledge, um, not really much of a runway. In fact, I really just had debt. It's probably really dumb what I did, but whatever. I didn't have kids. No cats, no plants, no problems. I was good. I literally quit the job 
at the time I had a boyfriend and he was, he had orders and we were in California and and he got orders to Virginia. So I'm like, well, talk about a clean slate, right? Start from like new job, new place, new everything. (laughs) So it's hard enough being an agent where you know everybody, by the way, and you go and be an agent where you're nobody and you have no experience. It was the scariest thing that I ever did. But once I got started, I had all of this knowledge that I learned in that coaching program that I could give away for free to these people during meetups. The first thing I did, I arrived on a Wednesday. My first meetup was Saturday. So I went all in on that. The value add, you know, give free value before you expect anything in return. I think I, I moved in August. My first closing was December. My second closing was February. So a good six months. If I can stop you for a second. So I want to dive deeper into this concept of the feelings and the emotions. A lot of our audience and the people we're hoping to inspire, they kind of get stuck a lot of times in this, like the craziness, like what you're describing is really crazy. New place, new everything, new profession. Like that's like, I mean, they talk about like the seven layers of stress, like you're encountering just about all of them all at once. Can you describe the mentality that you went into that situation with the, the thoughts, the patterns that got you through it? So for me, I'm a pretty analytical person and I'm very conservative. So I was raised, you know, the job thing. So for me to quit my job, I mean, my, my dad literally said, don't do something stupid, like quit your job. And then when I told him I did, he's like, well, don't call me for money. I'm like, thank you, dad. Perfect. It's the perfect motivation. Cause I'll just be like, I will show you that's motivation too. So I was taking motivation from everywhere I could, but at the end of the day, I believed in myself. I believed I had the knowledge I had invested. I had the information. I felt like there wasn't a way that I couldn't or that I would fail. Like it was like, I, there's no way I could fail. I knew it would take time. I gave, I thought six months. That's just from what I heard about being an agent. Right. So I was prepared mentally that I would be broke and living off 0% credit cards. And I had two for six months. Scariest thing I ever did. Dumbest thing, maybe. I don't know, but I am here where I am and I never was on the street. Okay. (laughs) Um, It was a lot of (laughs) yoga. I did yoga like every day for an hour. That was my time. I went to hot yoga. I went to a studio. So I had to be separated from my phone because I needed to, I knew I needed that time for me and my brain to just chill because every morning I woke up with a knot in my stomach, six o'clock in the morning, like every morning I woke up. And I probably said the F word. What am I doing? Right. And then it was get your ass out of bed, make your damn coffee and get to wherever you're going the office. I would go to the office, even though real estate agents don't have to go to offices. Right. But I would because it would put me in a, an environment where I'm there to work and there are people there that could support me. <clears throat> I, it was, I didn't have the luxury of not working my butt off. And it was a choice I made when I pulled chocks and left the government job. Yeah. So this is really cool. So, I mean, I love how you kind of just put yourself in the pressure cooker, right? So, I mean, you almost made failure not an option because of the way you approached it. Like you changed locations, you changed jobs and boom, went all in. So, I mean, like, how are you, I mean, if that is your only source of income, right, you're going to go 130%. So, I mean, I really love that. Did you do that intentionally? Like, because I put myself in situations like that intentionally sometimes. Like, oh, I'm going to get under pressure because I know I'm going to perform under pressure. Is that something you did intentionally or is that just something that you felt confident doing? I would say it was intentional by design. It just was my current situation. And I had 30 K or so in debt because of that program I did. And as a park ranger, I'm looking at, okay, I make X dollars every two weeks. It's going to take me a certain amount of time to pay all that off. So what do I have to lose? Right. I can go and go all in and make a lot of money, or I can do this steady as she goes, glass ceiling, live within my means, mediocre retirement. Like that's the lifestyle I could have, or I could go and take risk to build the life that I want. And at the end of the day, if I have to go crawling back to the government, you better believe they would have taken me back. I was a star employee. Little did they know what I was doing with my time. <laughs> my chief loved me. He would have given me my job back. So I had that. But to me, going back to putting that duty belt on, and putting a gun on to make 60 grand a year was a failure to me. So I was willing to fail somewhere else. When you say failure, you mean because it wasn't allowing you to live the life by design. Is that, is that fair? Well, it's, 
bigger than that. It's not who I am. It's not what I'm meant to be doing. I was very unfulfilled. I'm on this earth for a reason. And it is not to be a park ranger and write citations for dogs off leash. I felt so unfulfilled and so below. And I don't want to say this because there are really great officers out there, people, they choose jobs that they, they're passionate about, right? That's their calling. My calling is entrepreneur. And I was raised by people with jobs. So I never was exposed to my true potential until you know I got out in the world and did some reading and studying. And that's who I am. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not an employee. I don't belong there. Not because I'm better than that. It just wasn't my calling. It wasn't who I am. Melanie, you have so much energy. It is like infectious. The question that I want to ask is when you were working in that job that clearly wasn't right for you, like or earlier in your life, did you have this level of energy, this level of passion, this, were you this quick of a talker or did that happen as a result of getting alignment with what you're doing now? I will say that anything I've done, I've excelled at. You send me to Fletzy, which is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, you better believe I'm getting all the freaking awards. If I do something, I go all in. So this is me. So that that helps. If people aren't shy or are shy or they are not outgoing, then they need to find a way to, they can still do it. They just, they aren't going to sound and look and do the things I do, right? I've always been in over whatever. Yes, this is me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A follow-up question to that. So, I mean, it seems like you're a bit of a nonconformist as well. So, I mean, it likes, it seems like you're typically going in different directions than everybody else seems to be going. Um, have you always been that way as well? Or is that something you had to learn? You know, it's funny. I, I'm an, a millennial. I, I'm an old millennial. I'm what they call an exennial, right? We were older and we grew up without the internet. But when I was 14, the internet. So in our, um, our, the years where we're really developing is when we started having internet. So as a millennial in, in general, I think we were the first to just push back on everything. So yes, I am a nonconformist. I would, I'm an, a contrarian, but I'm also analytical and come from a conservative background. So I'm not just, I'm not all risk, by the way. I don't risk definitely other people's money. I don't do risky investments um, with my business, right? I might do my own stuff, but um, yeah, I, I guess I'm nonconformist. But yeah, don't tell me that I need to get married, have a dog, have two kids, have a house in suburbia bullshit America. Like, bless your hearts if the people want to live in it. I hate the sea of roofs. Like, it's not exciting. Give me a ranch. Put me on a hill. I, I don't know. A tiny home. I don't... A farm. I, whatever. I just don't love s suburbia America. But that is for a lot of people. It's just not for me. Um, <clears throat> in fact, I'm a minimalist. I don't even have a home. And I've been living abroad. I've been in Thailand. I'm in Belize. I've been in Mexico a couple of times. Alaska, California, Boise, Austin. I've kind of settled in Austin now. It's where I live. But if you're an agent, you're stuck to a geography, by the way, unless you do something different. But um, yeah, I'm definitely a nonconformist. But who knows? Maybe that's not a good thing. <laughs> maybe I'm. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know. <laughs> well, if there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with me um, because I am a self-pronounced nonconformist as well. And we have built a virtual business that's based on lifestyle, so that we can work from wherever in the world. So it's absolutely what's lit my passion as well to be able to to build that life. So like. You become an agent. I want to go back to the story a little bit. So you become an agent and you're giving value right away, which kudos to you. That's probably coming from your listening to Bigger Pockets and Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all those types of things. Give us a little bit more of the story. How did you go from new agent trying to give value to where you're building this life of freedom and then, of course, now building a, a humongous empire? Yeah. Let me just tell you, being an agent in Virginia was just a stepping stone. It was never the destination. And even now I got my Texas license and it's not because I want to be the world's best agent in Austin. I just want to help investors, but I mostly just want to do my own stuff. And I want access. I want to, get, I want a key to the city. I want to open every door that I have access to open. Um, <clears throat> so I became the agent. That was my main focus. I, I gave myself three years. I said, I will do this for three years, but I better have something going on to go to. And during, you know, the, the rich dad, poor dad stuff, I learned, you know, the lot like the what is it called um spreading out the cost of stuff over lots of doors versus having one door and if you're you have a hundred unit apartment one's empty is one percent vacant versus a house if it's vacant is 100 percent vacant so all these concepts right i was learning as i went so i knew i wanted to do something bigger i wanted my things to have more zeros on them <clears throat> as far as money goes 
but I didn't quite know yet what that asset class was because I'd heard things. Of course, apartments were really starting to make sense to me. You've got triple net, you've got storage, you've got there's so many investment opportunities, just land or development, like anything. I didn't know. I didn't know, but I was learning. And I kind of stumbled on apartments being kind of the bread and butter. And I actually still feel the same about that. That's the bread and butter, although I am diversified in many asset classes. Uh, so I did Michael Blanc's coaching program, which is a mastermind program, coaching program on how to buy apartments. So that was a one-year program. It was a learning piece. And then you got a coach once a month, you'd have an hour phone call, whatever. So I ended up getting my first apartment kind of under that program umbrella. So I guess it, it did what it's supposed to do. But as the agent, I was just more focused on making money because I just needed money, which I did. Got myself out of debt real quick, quick, bought a car, cash, saved money, made my first passive investment, 50 grand in 2019, which by the way, I need to call them there. It was supposed to be, it was under contract to be sold. They bought it for 18 million. It was under contract for 37.7 million in less than three years. The power of real estate. So by the way, that 50K, because I'm a real estate agent and I'm a real estate professional per the IRS, when I took that loss in 2019, that paper loss, it actually saved me $16,000 in taxes in 2021 or 2019 alone because of I could depreciate, I could take that what well, was about 42,000 off my actual income as an agent, which saved me all those taxes. And all the cash flow since, plus now the sale, I get my principal back, plus probably another 100 grand or so. Anyway, <clears throat> I just love real estate. Um, <laughs> so I did that one, just this passive investor, <laughs> bought mine, kind of those happened both right within two months of each other. I built a team because I had too many clients with all of the work that I had done, and it happened so fast. I actually got out of there in two and a half years. Gave myself three and was on to the next thing in two and a half. I sold all my crap. I moved to Thailand in January of 2020, but I had a team. So they were still closing deals and I was still getting paid while I was setting up Freestyle Capital Group. I spent a month in Thailand right before COVID to set up the website, the marketing campaigns, like all, the, all this stuff, right? It takes a while to just set it up. I figured I would just take a whole month. That was my full-time job to just launch the business, which I did. Came back from Thailand. I was supposed to go to Playa del Carmen and then COVID hit. So I hunkered down with my mom for a few months in Salt Lake City. Um, and anyway, my whole international travel plans for 2020 were completely destroyed, but whatever. <laughs> Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, Many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. <laughs> Oh, wow. Can I pause you for a second? I mean, there's like, you have so much energy. I mean, I, I really love this because there's like a hundred different ways I could take this. Um, but you built your real estate career in a very short time frame. Not only do you go from solo agent to having a team, but you were totally out of that team in a very, very short time frame. Um, so I'm curious. I mean, you targeted investors right away. Is that how you started your, your residential career? You went right after investors and that's what your niche was. And then you just scaled from there. And that's how you built the team or? Yeah. 
Yes, because that's the information I had. That's the knowledge I had. That's where my confidence was. And did I not just tell you, I don't care about a sea of roofs in a suburbia America. You want some retail buyer to come to me. I want to buy my dream home and the paint and the this and the that. I'm like, but this won't rent. It's in a bad school zone. Like, I always think about the exit strategy. I'm like, well, you'll never sell this thing. And there's like a pedophile next door. <laughs> Wow. This is so refreshing. You know, I mean, it's so refreshing because, you know, like, obviously, you know this, right? Like 90% of real estate agents don't know anything about investing. And and (laughs) so um, it's just really cool that you started off on that side. And it obviously went really well for you. So when did you make the decision that you wanted to be out of the retail residential game and you wanted to build this lifestyle business? I mean, obviously, you had it on your mind the whole time. But when did you know it was the right time? When I had the team and we had enough deals coming in. And honestly, it's not like it was the right time because I was rich, right? I I had enough money in the bank. I gave myself, they gave me, I I asked them for six months of runway where I'd still get 30% of the closings. And then I would give them my whole book of business with the exception of like, there was a list of 20 names of my most, you know, my closest clients that for another six months, I got um, some referrals on those ones. And then it was done. Like I don't even own think real estate anymore. That's Claudio and Erica and, and all the agents now that earn them. Um, it's fun. They, it, they've grown it. They keep, I think they're doing the meetups or maybe they're just doing a networking thing. I'm not sure, but um, the brand is still there. So that's good. I think we've helped a lot of people. So I just had a runway and I was willing to go back to zero knowing you take a step back to take a leap forward. I took a step back when I left to be an agent. I did really great. I had to take another step back, launch freestyle. And it's, you know, it's for a leap forward. And now I have my fund. I do that. And now I'm in Austin. I have a license. I'm looking at doing, you guys will love this. I'm looking at buying properties for co-living or digital nomad furnished houses with at least six bedrooms where someone from out of state or out of country even can come. They want to experience Austin. They roll in, they got a house of friends. They have Wine Wednesdays and Mastermind Mondays, and they have weekend activities or whatever. They just plug in. They stay their month, three months, six months, 12 months. I don't care. And then they leave. So I'm trying to create nomad houses or co-living. Such a great idea. Tim helped me buy three in the outskirts of Chicago for that exact purpose. Like This model is amazing, like super amazing. I want to dive into... like I'm so impressed by you. And one of the things I'm impressed by is I've had a similar journey but it's taken me way longer, not just from a time perspective, but the thing I'm most impressed by is how much clarity you seem to have as fast as you have it. You knew ahead of the game, you wanted a lifestyle business. You knew that you were going to do the agent thing to be to the end goal. For me, it seemed like to be more of an iterative process of like, hey, I go in this, I love it. But then it's like, oh, it's not really quite fulfilling enough. So like, can you walk us through like how that journey evolved? Did you have a coach guiding you through this? I've had coaches along the way. So I had the, um, the apartment coach. Well, I had a coach with the rich dad, poor dad, and that was to potentially do a fix and flip. Glad I never did that. I didn't do any of that. And then I had the coach for the apartment. So that was that. And that was what he was a coach for. Right. And then recently I've had a coach, um, probably fall to spring. I had a, a coach. He was for capital raising from high, um, what is the word? Uh, high income type people, like specifically high net worth individuals, like, raising capital from them. And he was a coach specifically for that. So it just depends. It's a series of pivots, right? I could not have told you, well, this is my path. This is where I'm going to go. I'm going to have a fun one day. You asked me just um, maybe a year ago, not a year ago, maybe a year and two months ago now. You said, Melanie, do you think you'll ever have a fund? And I would have said, oh, hell no. I would have never done that. I can't do that, right? But it's a series of pivots, action, success, the door opens and now the mind opens and you're confident. So I, before I did this fund, which is a big, you know, bigger fund, I did a single purpose fund last July to raise capital for one apartment complex. So my first one was a very simple LLC, Reg D, uh, 506B filing. So I could only raise money from just my closest friends, right? Put the deal together and did the one deal. That was it. I'm like, oh, I get it now. I get what a fund is. I get how it works. I get how it's structured. Then I could think bigger. So just to answer your question, like I couldn't, I wouldn't have told you that this was my path. Definitely not when I was a park ranger. 
I just knew I wanted my money to make my money. That's what the end game is for me. I'm not there yet. I'm still working. But guess what? Every time I work, just like what happened with that 24 unit in, in um, Norfolk, there's three things it takes to get a job done, right? Money, time, expertise. If I don't have the money, I figure out the other two. So on that deal, I found the deal. There was my equity. On the, the apartment that's under contract now, I had the money. That's my money making money. And right now, I was touring a triple net lease facility yesterday that I may represent as the buyer agent, but also be a partner in. So maybe I'll raise capital. Maybe I'll be boots on the ground. I don't know what I'll do. It's super easy when you have one tenant. I love businesses as tenants. They're the best because they just pay their rent and there's not emotional about it. And you can kick them out. COVID is never going to stop you from shutting down a storage unit or a business. Love <laughs> but they this. won't have to take someone's house. Um, yes. So, so just adapting. But I've also always been kind of at the tip of the spear. Among my peer group, which now is national and because of COVID, we went virtual, right? I met a lot of people in 2020 and 2021 because all those conferences that I didn't have to fly to, I went to virtually I'm, and I went to every meetup there was. In my space of syndicators, I know a lot of people, a lot. And I was always the first to do something. I was the first to do an SPV. People talked about it. I was the first to do it. And now this fund, I was one of the first six of this fund type to launch one of the first three to actually be active. And so I'm, you know, I, I spearhead things. I just, t I just figure it out. I understand it makes sense to me. I don't know everything. I just go and learn as I go. Because guess what? If you're the first, you get a lot more help. I want to ask a question that it might be tough to answer. So essentially like you have a fearlessness, you have an energy, there's like an attacking the world in you and I experienced this too. And I, I love that part of myself. Like, did you develop that? Like, do you ever experience fear? How do you position yourself to, you're consistently like you're evolving to take on these bigger challenges. There's so many people that would have fear around being an agent, fear around these elements. What is guiding you to not have fear when you take on these bigger deals, bigger ventures, bigger everything? Well, first of all, I have a lot of fear. You are not going to be fearless. There's no effing such thing. You just be fearful and do it anyway. Of course, I'm. there's fear. Of course, I have struggle. Of course, I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this deal or this week or this pay, like whatever. Like, yeah, there's fear, but you do it anyway because fear will, it will make you sit and stick you and, and stop you. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of fear. Absolutely. And and obviously you have a tremendous amount of confidence. I love your, because I mean, I could relate to you on this level. Like you love to just go after it and figure it out as you go. Because the more problems you create for yourself, obviously you have to solve them, right? So all of a sudden you're putting yourself into a situation where, you know, I mean, success is inevitable, essentially. So, I mean, um, it sounds to me like once you accomplish something one time, you already have the confidence that, oh, this is something I could do forever. Like, is that how it feels for you? It's like, you just need one, one success. And it's like, boom, I could sell houses now. One investment, boom, I could do that now. And then it's like, you feel like you could move on almost. I definitely think it's a mindset thing. And having successes, recognizing your successes, and it builds your own self-confidence. Like a lot of people worry about making other people feel confident or proving to them something, right? There's so much more value in proving to yourself you can. That's why um, I think part of me, so I've been in the military, I've been into two law enforcement academies. I, I've put myself through a lot where I just had to do it. I had to succeed. I had to pass these tests. I got tested in physical, like specifically physical fitness. I knew as a young person that I was going to hate the process, right? But it's the game you play. Everything you do, you learn from. Bad things. I'm married and divorced. You know how much I learned from that? I would never like go back and undo all of that. I hated it. I don't love the thought of it, but I had so many lessons. If you fail and you don't take a lesson away, shame on you. But if you don't fail, then you just put more firm foundation into who you are and what you're capable of. So it's just taking on more every time and proving to yourself that you can. I believe I can do anything I want, but can I go buy a skyscraper by myself right now? No, I'm not there yet. I'm doing the next logical thing. 
take us through a business failure that you had and then take us through how you processed it. Like, how did you pull out the lesson? How did you keep yourself balanced? How did you like, I mean, I noticed like a lot of people that we coach that, that failure hampers them. It's like they attach that failure to their identity. Can you walk us through a business failure and how you structured your mindset around it? Well, this word failure is interesting. Um, Cause sometimes like me trying to discover who I am, right? I'm a park ranger, but I was bored. So I got my real estate license in California, did nothing with it. My ex now husband, husband then was an agent. And he sucked at it. So I'm like, I'm going to get my license and help you. I got him a $4 million listing. Anyway, um, <laughs> just helping him. I launched, I had a podcast in 2014, a travel podcast. And I didn't stick with it. I had a blog back in 2012. I didn't stick with it. I had an online store that you could print stuff on yoga pants, print, you know, drop ship. And I didn't stick with it. So were these failures? I don't know. I learned a lot about marketing. I learned a lot about ads. I've learned, I don't, sometimes what we might think is a failure is just you learning yourself who you are and that whatever that was, was not working or it wasn't going to be fulfilling. That's another thing. I think people, a failure would be to stick with something that is not the right thing rather than just pull chalks, take the losses and move on to where the next thing is. So it's borderline chasing shiny objects, but it's, I call it just a pivot. If I had stuck to my guns and just been like, no, I'm going to be an apartment buyer. I would have been miserable. I realized when I bought my first apartment, I don't like talking to brokers. I don't like talking to sellers. I don't like doing due diligence. You know what I like? I like talking to investors and making the money. So I'm going to stay with that. That's why Freestyle Capital Group happened. Because I realized I needed to pivot. I don't want to be an operator of apartments. I don't want to handle tenants. I don't want to have to handle managers. I don't. And I learned that about myself. If I had stuck to my guns and, and started just doing the operations of apartments, I would have been miserable. Oh, wow. I mean, I just love your thought process because I feel like I think in a very similar way. You're just like, oh, I don't like doing this. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do something else. Um, you mentioned that you did like a bunch of entrepreneurial activities that you didn't stick with. Um, I could relate to that as well. Most of us have shiny object syndrome to some degree. Um, when did you know that this activity wasn't the right activity for you? When I would stop writing a blog or stop doing interviews or stop whenever I come to friction, like even now, if you go to my <laughs> website, I and I have a YouTube channel, right? I haven't made a video in a, month, a year and a half. Okay. Obviously I don't like doing that. Why would I force myself? I should. I know I could make some money. I know if I stuck to it, I could be a bazillionaire. Right. Right. But it's, it's painful. So why do I'm not going to do it. If I, I come against friction, then I know that's probably not what I, what I should be doing. Like you guys and starting a podcast, if you love this and you're on it and you're consistent and you don't have to drag yourself in front of the screen. Awesome. I would never start a podcast because it sounds like you just made a job for yourself, but you guys could love it. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's what you, you need to listen to you. And, and I call it friction, right? And there's sometimes in business, obviously, there's stuff you don't want to do. You just have to do, right? It's just business. But for the most part... Yeah, I was about to say, can I pause you for a second? Because uh, the friction thing, I think, is super, super, super important. So, because there's an important thing, right? Because there's going to be friction no matter what you're doing, even if it is the right thing. So how do you know if it's the right type of friction or the wrong type of friction? Is it based on your identity or what is it based off of? You just have to feel it and sit with it and think about it and then make a decision. And that's it. R roll out. Go on. Move on. Like, I don't go back and think, oh, man, I should have kept up with my podcast. Or, oh, man, I should have kept entirely pink blog. No, no, it was it was a time and a place. And it was it was done. Could I have made those million dollar companies? Maybe. Would I have been happy? I don't know. I'm happy now. Does it matter? I would. It's you just need to know yourself well. Right. And then sometimes if money's involved, if you've invested a bunch of money into a business, then you have to think about it from that perspective. Like, is can I walk away from this and feel good about it if I'm at a loss? Or do I need to finish this out because I had investors or whatever? I mean, I don't know. Every it just depends. And you'll know, right? You'll know, but I mean, it still could go either way. I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to anything. Just I go with my gut and I go with what feels right, but I'm not woo woo about it. Right. It's still an analytical decision. I'm not trying to be reckless. And I'm, and if other people are involved, I can't just shut a company down because I feel like it. If I have partners like you, 
you have to think about those things um, and make a wise decision, but it starts with the feeling, I would say. So what I want to dive into now is you've got this obvious innate ability to be successful in business and entrepreneurship. And then you have this core desire to travel, let loose, et cetera. How do you balance the passion and the enjoyment you have with work and the travel? Like, is there like a internal conversation that's going on as to like, Hey, I want to place my energy here at this percentage of the time. Or how do you think through that? It's probably a season. I know early on when I was really nomadic and really had no, no home, right. Then that was easy. Right. I just had to figure out work I could do from a computer and I could be anywhere in the world. And I did notice every, if I moved every month or so, it slows me my progress down in business. So I have to be willing to make maybe less money or move a little bit slower building the business if I want that lifestyle. It's just part of the lifestyle. You can't have both. Um, if you're transitioning maybe every three months or six months, then maybe maybe you can do it more. Um, but for me, you know, I was nomadic 20, December 2019 all the way through, I would say, January of uh, this year. But in January of this year, I decided Austin's home. I want to root down. I want I to still have my fun and, and do all that. But I also want to own some of my own assets that only I own or me and a partner or joint ventures only um, that I can control and maybe manage here. So that's the co-living, maybe some triple nets, easy stuff. Short-term rentals, maybe. I've, I've looked at that just simply because they're so high profit, but they are also high operation. So um, still pondering that one. So I've now... I, I want to be a little sticky. I want a real address because I have multiple LLCs and I had to recently change my car insurance and they asked me where I lived. I'm like, oh crap, I don't have a home at the moment. I'm still homeless. <laughs> like um, in January, I, I lived from a place from January to July, but then I left that place. I took the month of August and I was on a road trip um, back to Salt Lake and Arizona and stuff. So I just got back here a week or two ago. I am using trusted house sitters and I'm house sitting until I have a house. So I'm good through October right now. <laughs> oh, wow. So this is awesome. So I got a question for you. Um, so you chose to live this nomadic lifestyle. Did that come from like a book or something? Because I could tell you when I was like 22 years old, I read four hour work week, and that led to vagabonding. And if I did not have a kid and a wife at the time, I would have dropped everything and moved to Thailand. And I bet you my life would have looked totally different. So like, was there an influence that made you want to be a no bad? Because like, this is like the biggest dream I've had for like 12 years and I'm finally chasing after it. So, I mean, I'm just so excited to talk to you about it because I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm sh I wish I knew exactly like the book or the, the thing or whatever I wish, but I do know I've always been a traveler pretty much probably since I was 12. I had a really influential sixth grade teacher that, she would teach us about the Etruscans and the Egyptians and the whatever's from her own personal photos. I'm like, wow, oh, wow. So anyway, um, that's when I joined the military. That's part of the reason. And my first duty station was in Italy. So I got exactly what I was after, right? So I was stationed in Italy and I've just, I've been, I've traveled a lot. And even like as a park ranger, you know, you're two weeks off or whatever a year I would travel. Uh, I went to India. I went, I did as much as I could, but I knew it wasn't long enough. And I couldn't take enough time off to do the stuff I wanted to do. The longest I ever got to take off straight was three weeks. And that was to go to India. So um, that was part of it, part of the motivation for changing the lifestyle. I read Four Hour Work Week. That was definitely an interesting book. Um, it was really just a period of mind shifting in every area, how to make money and what money is, what wealth is. Money is just a currency. We're living in the freaking matrix, right? Play the game. Money is just the tool. That's it. The rest of it is the design of the lifestyle. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was big. I read uh, The Power of Now, which was big for the mindset. And then um, once I had gotten divorced and I was free to do what I really wanted to do, that I, I really made travel a priority. And that's kind of, yeah, I wish I could tell you what the books were. And I know when I became an agent, I, I was already looking at the digital nomad thing. Uh, but I knew I couldn't yet, right? I wasn't there yet. I had to give myself those three years to build that so I could go do that. Um, but there was a podcast called The Maverick Show, Matt Bowles, who is a buddy of mine now, but um, he his podcast was all about digital nomads. And he was kind of the one that made me think, oh, I could do this because I literally didn't think I could do it. I didn't think so. I didn't understand the work from a computer thing. Um, so it took... Yeah, it took a while. Probably I didn't really know that I could do it until 2019. 
I did want to do it. I didn't know that I could do it. I thought I was going to have to work and then retire and then do it, right? I didn't realize, oh, I can have the lifestyle where I'm living the lifestyle I want while still building that retirement or the wealth. So it's just a journey. It's you, you will never listen to one podcast and have all the answers, right? I'm hoping this can help some people at least plant seeds. All I can do is plant seeds. I cannot lay people's path out for them because it's their journey. Every book, every podcast, everything's a pivot and a decision and no one life will look the same. And I don't have kids. I don't have, I, my cat died in January of 2019. And then that was the sign to me that I'm free, right? Cause he was the one thing holding me down. And, um, Everyone's on their own journey. I chose to be a minimalist. I don't have stuff to drag around. Um, people get attached to their stuff. And I'm not attached. I, I went through very intentionally in yoga. One of There's eight limbs of yoga. And the, the physical practice that everybody thinks yoga is, is just one of the limbs. One limb of yoga is detachment. Detachment from your whole identity. The dad, the location. I'm American. I'm a white guy. I'm a whatever detachment from all of that and if you strip you down to just who you are inside it's good enough and that's probably better than all this other crap because it might just not be real or you know your true self so it's a long journey and it can get a little woo-woo yeah totally i mean especially because you're you're chasing things pretty hard you, you know both in business and in travel what I've noticed is a lot of people, as they become more successful, generally in business, they start to take on an, a pursuit of purpose, a pursuit of like teaching or some sort of way that they're giving back. There's a charitable element that comes in. What are some things maybe that you're doing or you're thinking about doing in the future that are going to feel the, the purpose side of, of the equation? So I, I have a mastermind. I help other capital raisers. Um, but honestly, I just think there's a lot of fake teachers out there as uh rich debt was uh robert kiyosaki would say fake teachers right i think there are a lot of people and i've thought of this too right you learn enough to be like oh i get it i can do this and maybe you do it maybe you don't but the next thing you do is you go start your own coaching program and you really don't know what you're doing because you need experience that's like a lot of operators today if they operate in less 10 years only they were, it's easy times, easy, smooth sailing. What happens when shit hits the fan? Now tell me what kind of operator you are. So it's very easy to become the teacher before you're ready. Because if you're one step ahead of someone else, they're going to latch on and you can charge them for that, right? But do you really know what you're doing? Really? Do some of these guys? And, I, and my answer is no. My answer is no, because I know a lot of them and I know a lot of their deals intimately and they're, they're shit. So to answer your question, I help a lot of people kind of one-on-one. -on -one. I just have a few people from my mastermind or whatever. I do my mastermind. It's free and I don't advertise it, um, but it's kind of like people just trickle in and show up. Some people stay, some people don't, but we're kind of the same core group and then other people come and go. It's kind of funny. Um, and I've thought about shutting it down, but every time we have the meeting or whatever, at the end, everyone's like, no, thanks so much for this. And we always get so much value. And I love you guys. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I can't shut it down because I've created this family. Um, but honestly, right now I'm kind of head down doing my own stuff. Right. So I, I don't have this big give back right now. Besides that, that's my kind of my one thing. I don't want to be a fake teacher. Honestly, I don't think I have enough experience in a lot of areas to really be that teacher for somebody. I mean, I know. Yeah, I would actually love to ask you a little bit more about this because, I mean, you are without a doubt correct. I mean, there are literally people that teach people to be consultants about stuff that they don't know anything about. Um, so, I mean, there's a million fake gurus out there. So, like, for the people listening, like, what would be your, your advice to them when they're seeking a mentor? What kind of questions should they ask them so they know that, they're real, that, that they are the real deal? Excuse me. Well, you mean like a coaching program or just a mentor in general? Um, either or. Whatever's easier to answer. I think if somebody has an opportunity to partner, but you're not, no one's going to bring you on unless you have value. You either need one of three things, right? Money, expertise, or boots on the ground. Don't roll up to someone and, and ask for shares in their deal if you're the newbie that you have nothing to bring to the table and you're just being the mentee. Because honestly, I've brought on mentees before, and even if they're not getting paid or getting paid very little, they cost me a lot of my time and energy. 
just to keep them informed or keep them invited to be on the things with me just doing my business. Like it's a pain in the ass. So don't, first of all, don't have any expectations because nobody owes you anything, this whole entitlement thing. And nobody has to mentor you. Okay. (laughs) Nobody does. Um, but if you can find somebody that you have a true connection with real people, that's my whole thing with, with my fund or, uh, people and, and even my investors, like I want a personal relationship with people. I'm not here to have mass production, thousands of people coming through my funnel, throwing money at me. And I never know who they are. That is, that's fine. Some people can build their business that way. That's not how I build it. And if I'm going to be mentoring or being mentored by somebody, it's either I'm paying them and I've done my due diligence to know that they're legit or we just really know each other and we want to help each other and I have value to bring, they have value to bring, and it's kind of a mutual thing. So I guess instead of saying, what do you look for in a mentor? I would say, what do you have to offer a mentor? And if you have nothing to offer in knowledge or time, you better be willing to pay them. Totally. So I want to ask, let's say you had millions of dollars in the bank and enough cash flow to last you a hundred lifetimes. So there's no financial need ever again. How would you structure your life and what would you, how would you define freedom at that point? Well, that would probably make life not that interesting, I would say, honestly, because now you don't know who your friends are. What are you striving for, right? And would I solve world hunger? No, I don't care about that too much. I mean, whatever. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I would probably work a lot on my own spirituality and getting to know myself better. I would definitely keep up my fitness. But if I had just stupid money, yeah, I'd want to help and do something. But honestly, I haven't even like dreamt or thought about that yet because it's, it's so, I can't wrap my mind around it. Um, but I, I don't know. Cause I, I would like to think like if I had enough money, let's say not like hundred years worth of money, but let's say I had a few, you know, $20 million, say I had that. Cause I could retire off that very easily. I would probably still keep building that big, growing that money, building it, whether I probably wouldn't want to be the operator though. I'd probably find really great operators and then be heavy on the negotiations with how I structure it and how much of the deals I get and be more selective with who I work with. I would probably do that because that's fun. But if I had, if money wasn't even a thing and there had so much money, I couldn't spend it. I may not be that excited about making more money. So I don't know. Um, I definitely would travel and experience the world. I would want to bring people I love with me, but again, like everybody's on their own journey. I've taken friends on vacations with me and they just weren't as excited. I'm like, man, I could just be here alone right now. Cause that's how I'm used to traveling. Right. So I don't know. I, would, I, my, my initial thought when you asked that question was just that I would, I would like to get to know myself a lot better. Totally. So I'm in the same way. Cause I'm a nonconformist and I had the same reservations. It was like, I felt like if I was in, I would eventually rise to the top and become the leader but I, I couldn't get myself in my whole dad's side of the family's in the Navy, but I just, I I couldn't take the amount of direction that was given without like, Hey, you're going to be gone for six months. Okay. It's going to be nine. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. How how long were you in by the way? I did four years, but you just said something that you sealed your fate. You said, I can't do that. Yeah. You you just said that. So you were right. But I know. Yeah, totally. You both could have if you had a different mindset about it. Oh, you're totally. absolutely right. Yeah. Well, and it's like what you said earlier, which I think is so powerful, is like you you understand where there's resistance. And so the there's value in knowing like, where do I have limiting beliefs and where do I have resistance? And so it's like sometimes those thoughts are keeping you from the success that you can have. And sometimes those are good markers of going a different direction. So yeah, you're totally right. I'm I'm confident if I would have just signed up, I would have figured it out. Um, yeah, totally. Did you enjoy your time in the military? You know, a lot of the aspects I really enjoyed. And then a lot I didn't at all enjoy because it was just the job and the control of your lifestyle, right? I wanted to go backpack through Europe for a month. I didn't have that option. That is why I got out. I didn't want that lifestyle. I knew it. <laughs> the job was fine. I could have climbed the ranks. Both of my cap or my uh, navigators, uh, that, they were the officers that were over my department. Both of them sat me down on my two different ships, sat me down like, Melanie, you need to go into the officer program. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be in long enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I knew I wasn't. I felt like I was getting dumb. I needed to go to school. And I told my, my navigator when I was getting out, the second one, because I 
got out a year early. There was a, a memo that went out that if you hadn't put your, I was supposed to do five years because I, in, in A school, of course, I was the number one in the class. So I got E4 straight out of A school because when I do shit, I do shit, right? I'm all in. I was the top of my class. So I got for a year extension, they gave me E4, which I went from an E2 to an E4. I was never an E3. So anyway, um, I had to do that five, fifth year, but the extension hadn't taken place. So there was this memo at the time because it was right after 9-11. There were more people in the Navy than ever before. They were letting people get out and not do their extensions. Um, so I got out a year early, but I told my navigator, I'm like, because I needed his permission. I said, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go to school. And then if I come back, I'll come back as an officer. Like I can always get out or get back in, but I can't always get out. So I need to get out. I need to go explore some stuff, do some school, and then I'll have options. And he bought it. And then I never went back. Not like, not like he was going to hold me to it or anything, but um, yeah, I just decided I wanted the freedom and I found other stuff to do, I guess. But I love traveling, the camaraderie, some of my closest friends at that time. I look like now I wouldn't be friends with those people, right? That's something, again, I wanted to mention when we were talking earlier about your path and your journey, who you surround yourself with is going to guide your path too. So always hang out with people that are smarter than you or further along than you. Totally. When people describe being in the military, a lot of times you think of that kid that just needs direction. They need all these skills. It doesn't seem like maybe that was you. Like, it seems like you had a lot of direction and energy. How do you think the military shaped you from a personality standpoint, from a skills, et cetera? I mean, I was already kind of like, you know, a lot of people go in and then they learn to be on time and, you know, they make you fold your sheets and your underwear a certain way or whatever they're teaching you or training you. I was kind of already there. I made my bed as a kid every morning when I got out of bed. Like, um, you know what it taught me? I'm from Utah. And when I lived in Utah, it was a pretty pasty city, or Salt Lake City, right? And when I joined the Navy, and there were people of all sorts of cultures and colors, I will tell you, like, I don't ever want to say I'm racist or whatever, but I definitely was from pasty white Utah. And I got, I didn't get like my ass kicked or anything, but I definitely said some stupid shit to people that is just demeaning. I wasn't trying to be, but I, I didn't know any better because I was an ignorant white girl that came from Utah. Like literally they were playing my, uh, music while we were working out. And it was like rap music or something at the time. And I listened to like a light FM 100 in the Christian music station. Right. And I'm like, why do we have to listen to ghetto music when we work out? Like, why's it going to be ghetto? I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know. I didn't know. Like I just said stupid stuff like that and offended people, which I, I feel bad for. And today I'm a different person, right? I'm more cultured and more experienced. So that's one thing the military exposed me to is just different people from different backgrounds, different places. And that was huge for me. I needed that. Love it. So like, what, what what's that? As far as work and stuff, like, honestly, there's a bunch of idiots running the military. So it's not like I learned anything from my chiefs there. I had no really great leaders, just to be honest. Gotcha. The officers, but not the enlisted. I don't know. So transitioning a little bit, tell us, what are you going to be up to? What are your visions for the next 12 to 18 months? Um, months. So definitely buy a couple, well, months, maybe five or six properties, um, either all in Austin or a few here and then a few somewhere else, like with this brand of the co-living thing. My fund, I would like to get it to $10 million, um, probably by the end of next year. So then I can stop putting stuff in the fund and let it ride. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I could keep it going or I could let like end it at some point to do something different. Cause one thing I'll tell you um, with the two funds that I have, I have partners on, on all my funds and I'm full-time real estate. They all have jobs and kids and it's, it causes me extra work to not only be the main person doing everything, but also dra I feel like I'm dragging along my partners. So that's one thing when you're going ahead and you're creating businesses or whatever, just be super, super careful when you get into business with someone. It's literally like a marriage. So anyway, my point is like this current fund, I may end it to launch my own Melanie, only Melanie fund. With, if Melanie dies, then yeah, someone, a lawyer can step in and take over, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so that's one, one thing and then buying properties, but yeah, just keep doing what I'm doing, building wealth, getting as much real estate under my control and much equity shares. Cause I'm raising this capital. I'm not putting money into these deals either. And I'm getting equity shares of these multi million dollar properties. So as they cash out, you know, down the road, that's, um, should be fine. Should be good. 
And maybe as a real estate agent, maybe I should set a goal for that. Maybe I should sell some real estate. I don't know. Um, close one deal by the end of the year and five next year. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, I am totally confident you'll find it. So obviously you, you're you licensed real estate agent in the Austin area now, um, and you have this fun going on. So if the audience wanted to reach out to you, which would be the best way for them to get in touch? I mean, Freestyle Capital Group, if they just Googled that, they should find my website, all my socials. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram for the most part. I think I'm on Twitter too, but I haven't really been doing much there. Um, that's probably the best way, even if for agency stuff. If someone's in Austin, I mean, I do have my local, it's what, Melanie at pgraustin.com, puregoldrealtyaustin.com uh, is my agent thing. But they could just go through Freestyle because that's my main thing and just tell me what they need and they can be happy to help. Um, but that's that, you know, I have actually a free download on my website, you know, I always the lead magnet, whatever thing, but it's, it's helpful. It's a, a financial guide to your financial freedom, or it's a guide to your financial freedom. So you can actually go through it, fill it out and see what your financial freedom number is back into how much money you need to be making, saving, whatever to hit your, your goals. So it's, it's a useful tool. If someone's doesn't understand how to calculate their financial freedom number, and start getting on a path toward financial freedom, um, they, you know, that might be useful for them. Oh, definitely. We'll have a, a direct link to that resource for them in the show notes. Uh, Melanie McDaniel, I mean, this has just been an absolute pleasure. I mean, I wish I could talk to you for another hour. This has been so much fun. Um, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life, into your business. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Please commit to taking at least one massive step forward like Melanie has proved and illustrated to us time and time again over the last hour and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 